0: not comfortable doing that, then it's certainly okay for you to remain seated. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. I'll be reading through verse 48. Here's what the word of the Lord says, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say sim- be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. You may be seated in his presence. Uh, last week, the first part of this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, I entitled that message, True Righteousness. And so uh, this is actually part two of that, but I'm going to give it a different title, which is similar. Today's title will be Radical Righteousness, uh, Radical Righteousness. You'll recall, for those of you that were here with us on last week, or uh, if you joined us online, by the way, welcome to all of you who are joining us online on Facebook Live and on our live feed from the website. We're so glad to have you. Listen, let me just say this before I jump into this, if you are joining us online. Come on back. It's okay. Come on back. We'll make accommodations for you here. Uh, if you've been wondering, today is, a, next Sunday is a good time. In fact, you can make it today. I might be up here 15 or 20 minutes. If you're close enough, you may have time to get here for the benediction. This is communion Sunday, so it'll be a little bit more time at the end. But if, if you're a little further away, uh, plan to be with us next Sunday, and we'd love to have you. But if you were here with us on last week, or if you were joining us online last week, you'll recall that I left you on last week with a word. The word I left you with was a reminder that true righteousness is an inward matter. I said that at the end of last week's message. It's an inward matter. And I reminded you that we've been imputed with this true righteousness. And as a result, there ought to be some stuff that happens. As a result, we should honor God. Not just in actions, but also in thought, in motives, and in attitudes. Because we've been imputed with this true righteousness. And to highlight this advice that I left you with on last week, to highlight it and illustrate it, I shared an excerpt from a poem by Richard Scherer, better known as Sir Ricky. And this is what I shared with you from that poem. Sir Ricky says this, his spirit is deep inside as a gift when you abide. So ensure room for his throne. You are no longer your own. You have been, I think maybe the last word I said before we prayed is you've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. And because of that, you ought to allow him to dwell and to have permanence and precedence on the inside of you. So that, but Kimmy, it will manifest itself on the outside of you. Because it starts on the inside, and true righteousness can only come to be in a heart, through a heart that has been transformed by Jesus. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 20 from last week's message, Jesus said that true righteousness is that which exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Who were, by the way, seen as the absolute most righteous people of their day. They were the most righteous of their day. People thought they saw them that way. So Jesus' statement was seen as radical to them. It was seen as radical to them because it was incomprehensible for anyone to be able to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They couldn't see how that could be. And so when Jesus makes this statement to them, it sounds crazy. It sounds radical. Let let, let me me share with you how Webster defines radical. And maybe it'll bring it home to you. Webster says that to be radical means this, to be very different from the usual or traditional. To be extreme, uh, favoring extreme changes in existing views, existing habits, or existing uh, institutions or conditions. This is... My dear brothers and sisters, exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to shake some things up, brother John. He came to flip some stuff upside down. He came to change some theology. He came to change some thought processes and some paradigms. He came to shake it up. And so what he said to them, especially what he says in 520, is a radical Statement: To be righteous, one must exceed, one's righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. How in the world could this be so? So, as a good homiletician would often do, will often do, he gives them some examples and some illustrations. You remember from last week, he launches into six examples or illustrations of his statement in 520. And and we said that those six examples can also be described as comparisons between external performance of the law and internal obedience to the law, because they were caught up in what appeared on the outside. He wanted them to understand it's not about the letter of the law, it's more about the spirit of the law. So he launches into these six illustrations. Uh, I called these six illustrations last week, and I'll call them again this week, the you have heard, but I say comparisons. The you have heard, but I say comparisons. You know, I, 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 did, I didn't make that up. It's not very creative. It's in the text. Uh, it, but this is how Jesus introduces these radical ideas and thoughts. He says, at the beginning of each of them, you have heard, but I say and last week we looked at the first three. First three we looked at last week. First three were these unresolved anger. And some of y'all had a problem with what I said about that last week. I'm surprised y'all let me come back today. Because uh, Jesus reminded them if you have an issue and you bring your offering to the altar and you have an issue with your brother or sister, leave what you brought. I'm not going to preach it again, but I just want to make sure y'all got that last week. Leave what you brought and go and get that thing right and then come back. Y'all almost ran me out of here when I said that last week. But it wasn't me. It was in the, it's in the text. It's what Jesus teaches. It's this radical thought. Then he goes into number two, forbidden desire or lust. Right. He, he talks about that. And then we closed out with that subject that I asked y'all to pray hard for me about before I even started. And I felt your prayers as I launched into it because it's a sticky subject and a touchy subject and a sensitive subject. Uh, he taught them about divorce. And so we closed out with that last week. Uh, so today, after last week's examining those first three illustrations, those first three examples of Jesus' statement in 520, today we'll look at the final three. We'll examine the final three. First one is this, telling the truth. So, <laughs> I so appreciate them amens. We, we We need, I need, I need all. It. Telling the truth. It sounds so elementary, it sounds so basic, It, it sounds so simple that all of us shouldn't need any kind of exposition on this subject. But just like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews that Jesus is preaching to on the side of the mountain, we in 2021 need a lesson in telling the truth. Y'all going to let me come back? (laughs) A lesson in telling the truth. One of the strange things about the Sermon on the Mount is the number of occasions when Jesus recalled to the Jews that which they already knew. He continues to do it all throughout this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's when he says, you have heard. It's because they already knew, uh, and they already had their own ideas about what Jesus was getting ready to teach them on. They already had had had, had traditions in these things. They already uh, uh, had customs in these things, and so he starts it off, uh, setting them up so that he could break them down. You have heard, that's where he starts it. One of the things that the Jewish teachers had always insisted on was the importance of telling. The truth was one of the things that they insisted on. They insisted even more on the truth if the truth had been guaranteed by an oath. They insisted on it. We see it in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, here's what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, many of us have always thought that meant Cussing. <laughs> But it's deeper than that. It's not bad words. It is using the Lord's name and not honoring it when you use it. Uh, This commandment condemns the man who swears that something is true or who makes some promise in the name of God and who has taken the oath falsely. That's what this commandment is all about. Uh, We see further evidence in Scripture That supports the idea that when a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he was not to break his pledge. Like in Leviticus 19.12, which says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says this, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says this, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin, This was understood. This was, this was something that was insisted upon by the Jewish leaders. But in Jesus' day, there were two unsatisfactory things about taking oaths. It was, it was in the law. Uh, they, had, they had made it a custom and a tradition, but they had also perverted uh, the law and perverted uh, the understanding of what it was all about. Two in two ways. One was known as frivolous swearing. Frivolous swearing. And what that simply meant was it meant that they would take an oath when no oath was necessary or proper. Using the most sacred language in the most meaningless way. Many of us can relate to that now. You just throw stuff around. It it, it means it's frivolous, especially when one invokes the name of God. And so, the first thing they did was frivolous swearing. It had been common for them to say things like, by thy life, whatever, whatever, whatever. Or, may I never see the comfort of Israel if, whatever, whatever, whatever. Just useless, frivolous swearing and oath-taking. And then the second thing they did was something called evasive. Swearing. They did that as well. The Jews divided oaths into two classes, which were absolutely binding and those which were not. Those that were binding and those that were not. Any oath that contained the name of God was absolutely binding for them. Any oath which evaded the name of God was not to be binding. So you see evidence of it in the text where they invoke these different names. This meant that if a man swore by the name of God in any form, he would strictly keep that oath. But if he swore, for instance, by heaven, or if he swore... By earth, or if he swore by Jerusalem, or if he swore by his head, he felt free to break the oath. It's in the text in verses 34 through 36 is what Jesus is referring to because that's what they had began to do. This evasive, if I can avoid putting God's name in it and just put something else in there, you know, Jerusalem or my head or something like that then I am not necessarily bound to keep what I've sworn to. There's a problem with that line of thinking, though. problem is that uh, although the idea was that they could separate God out, the reality is that you can't separate God out. God is in everything, and he is everywhere. So it makes no difference how evasive you try to be. God is always present. Isn't that right? Isn't he always present? He is a very present help in a time of trouble. If you make your bed wherever you want to make it, Psalm says the psalmist says, He is already there. You can't, you can't you can't separate it out. And so that's what they were attempting to do. Uh, the, the reality is, is that God is already involved. In all things. In fact, he's not only involved in all things, he is, Brother Kimmy, the ruler of all things. So it don't make no difference what you try to invoke. God is already the ruler of it. Heaven is the throne of God, the earth is his footstool, Jerusalem is the city of God. A man's head does not belong to him. He cannot even, according to the text, make a hair on his head white or black. You don't have that power. I mean, you know, you can temporarily. (laughs) Hello, somebody, y'all. Tell the truth, shame. (laughs) I mean, but it's going to go away if you don't mess with it. (laughs) If you just leave it alone, it's going to go back to whatever it was. I'm a living witness. (laughs) Y'all got to pray for me. Listen, you cannot... Separate God, he, he is in everything, He owns everything. He is the ruler of everything. You cannot evade him by taking his name out and think that you can get away with it. It don't work it, it don't work that way. it don't work that way. Uh, and so whether his name whether he's named or not, so you cannot separate God from things and attempt to compartmentalize your life so that there is one way you carry yourself on Sunday and another way you carry yourself Monday through Saturday. Do I have any witness in the house to what I just said? The way I see you on Sunday ought to be the same way I see you when I run into you at Walmart on Tuesday. Or if I work with you uh Monday through Friday, all to see the same you that the preacher saw on Sunday morning. If you're doing something different. Away from here. Now, now let me say this. Sometimes it don't matter to folks. Because sometimes they're the same way here. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> We gotta watch them kind. They don't even try to try to fake it. Just the same way every day. But you cannot separate out and compartmentalize your life so that God only has authority certain days and in certain areas and in certain parts of your life. He wants to know he is in charge of everything. So they tried and attempted. To evade God and the consequences of invoking His name by taking His name out and replacing it with other things, it just won't work. Here's the here's the answer. Verse thirty-seven gives us the answer. Verse thirty-seven uh, simply says this. Here's the answer. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. It's it, it's really it's really elementary, isn't it? Uh, When you say yes, just mean it. When you say no, just mean it. Right? Listen, listen. It, it, It may be a tough pill to swallow for whoever you're talking to. But I promise you that the truth will always prevail. Uh, don't, you don't have to try to hide anything, sugarcoat anything, make it sound a little better than it really is. If if, if if I don't look good, don't come telling me you look good today. That's the reason why you ladies need to be careful what you ask your husbands. Do, how, does this, how does this fit? Because you're going to force. Sometimes you force. in now, because you ladies are looking at me. Uh, husbands, same, wives, same thing. Because I know I ask my wife, so how does it look? And she be, I could she, watch this. She don't even have to answer. I know by the response in her face, on her face, whether the answer is good or bad. Because what she'll do, y'all can relate, brothers, y'all can relate to this, she'll, she'll give you that look and then she'll say, yeah, 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 it looks good. But when it really looks good, She don't have to say anything because them eyes light up. Right? See, brothers, I got y'all off the hook. See how I got y'all off the hook right there? (laughs) But we've all experienced. Listen, Jesus is saying there is no need for any of that. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no, and you can eliminate all the stuff in the middle because it's the middle stuff that gets us in trouble. Just, just, Just do that. Uh, here's what I like. Uh, Clement of Alexandria, who is a Christian theologian and philosopher from the early church, says this. He says, Christians must lead such a life and demonstrate such a character that no one will ever dream of asking an oath from them. That's talking about us, right? The ideal, here's the ideal, the ideal society is one in which no man's word will ever need an oath to guarantee its truth. And no man's promise ever need an oath to guarantee its fulfilling. That's ideal. That's that's, that's what we're all trying to get to, right? And, and, And we should, the believers ought to have some influence in that. We should lead the way in what Clement says uh, we, sh- we should look like. We should, we, should, we should live so truthfully and honestly. I'm not telling you it's easy. I know it's not easy, but that should be our goal. That should be what we're pressing toward to live so honestly and truthfully that no one will ever require or ask us to take an oath for anything and we'll rub off on society. Now, We understand that oaths in some instances are necessary. Like when you go to court, uh, when you're sworn into an office, uh, it's necessary. And the reason why, but there's a reason why, J.D., you know the reason why? Because we are fallen. And unfortunately, a lot of folks lie. So it's still necessary that when you sit before the judge, When you are being installed in an office, when certain things happen, that you have to raise your right hand and oftentimes put your hand on the Bible and swear that you're telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth because the truth is that oftentimes people don't. But Clement says, ideally, we lead in this effort, we walk the walk and not just talk the talk so that society might be transformed by our influence on it. Yeah. And when I tell you something, you can take it to the bank, no matter what. That's, that, that, that should be our, our, our goal. Here's the radical challenge and charge to the Christian. Live our lives in such a way that no one will see the need to ask an oath of us and strive to make this world a place where lies and infidelity will be eliminated and the need for oaths abolished. It may not ever happen until we see Jesus, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, right? So from, 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 from telling the truth, Jesus then moves to the issue of resentment and retaliation. Now, if we have a problem with the truth, we certainly have a problem with this one, too. Because you do something to me, I want to get you back. All right, at least one of y'all agree with me. Y'all know, y'all know that, you know, that's the way we operate often. <laughs> so in 38 through 42, Jesus addresses this issue, the issue of resentment and retaliation. Uh, This example in 38 to 42, let me read it again. 38 to 42 says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other side. Just checking. Anybody here ever done that? I'm just asking. All right. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. This example, this example may have been to them the most radical and challenging of them all. Jesus begins by citing the oldest law in the world. It's known as the text, the Lex Talionis. the Lex Talionis. It is... Word that the phrase that means law of retaliation, or you may know it as this the law of tit for tat. Law of tit for tat. This law simply stated says that you may not extract from someone who has injured you any more than you have lost. In other words, the punishment should fit the crime no more, no less. Such a law, though, didn't begin with Moses, we find it. First, in the earliest known code of laws, the ancient code of Hammurabi, Hammurabi, Am I saying that? Hammurabi. (laughs) Hammurabi. Y'all ever heard of the code of Hammurabi? Dennis has heard of it. Well, you've heard of it today. It's named after a king, king who ruled in Babylon from 1728 to 1686 BC. Uh, That law, though, became a part of the ethic of the Old Testament as we see it in passages present. In these passages such, such as Exodus chapter 21, 23 through 25, we see evidence of this ancient law even before the law of Moses it is instilled this idea this ethic is instilled even in God's law because in Exodus 21 here's what it says but if there is harm then you shall pay life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot burn for burn wound for wound stripe for stripe Leviticus 24, 19 through 20 says this, this, if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Deuteronomy 19, 21 says this, your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. We see evidence of this ancient law even in God's law. This law was not as it appeared, though. It seems like it is a violent law, but that's not the case. It's not actually a violent law. It's actually a law that's intended for mercy. That's what it is. Uh, It actually was intended to limit vengeance. Only the man who committed the injury was to be punished, and his punishment was to be no more than the equivalent of the injury he had inflicted and the damage he had done. It was actually a law of mercy because without that law, then then, then, then resentment and revenge might have been taken on everybody and not just a little bit, but more than what was necessary. So this law was enacted so that mercy could be extended and vengeance and violence limited. But the Pharisees, you know them old Pharisees, the Pharisees of Jesus' time had twisted this law. Apparently, they had wrenched it from its judicial context and were applying it to justify their own personal actions. And so they were using it to justify anything they wanted to do in the way of revenge, vengeance, violence, any of that. They said, the law says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There's no limit to that. They had perverted it as they had done with many others. So Jesus destroys their line of thought and instead teaches that retaliation has no place in the Christian life. Now, I know it's a tough one to swallow, because again, we want to get back. And that's just our nature. We want to, if you wrong with me, I'm, you know, I'm gonna have to pray hard to not try to get you back. But I've grown since my early days like some of y'all just say amen Amen. don't say it too loud because somebody might look at you like wait a minute but just I've grown I used to not be the way I am today I've not always been so merciful (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah not always Uh, but Jesus now gives three examples of what he just talked about. He gives three examples to, 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 to kind of explain and illustrate this concept. So he says in verse 39, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek is what he says. Uh, now, this is not this is not necessarily a literal example of what's happening. Because, because it's more likely to happen in the form of an insult than a physical slap. I mean, you know, some of us have been slapped, but... That's not, that's not the, common, the most common things that happens, right? More common is that you're insulted by somebody. It's not often that you get slapped because people just ain't going to walk up to you and slap you. <laughs> I mean, it could happen, but 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 more common is, and so it's really not a literal uh, illustration. Really, what Jesus is saying is that it, it it could come in the form of an insult. Jesus is simply saying that the Christian way is not to retaliate when one has been insulted. Not to I don't know, that's the Christian way. How many Christians in the house? All you know, right, somebody. <laughs> All right, so he says, turn the other cheek, and then in verse 40, he says this, let him have your cloak as well. There's special significance to this. Uh, it's interesting because uh, uh, though taking the cloak was prohibited on humanitarian grounds in the Old Testament law, in fact, uh, it's prohibited in Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 and 27, taking the cloak is prohibited. Here's what that passage says. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. The tunic was, just to give you a visual of what these two garments were the tunic was the long inner garment made of cotton or linen the poorest man would have a change of tunics would have more than one but the cloak the cloak was the great blanket like outer garment which a man wore as a robe by day and used as a blanket at night And each man likely would only have one cloak. So then the law said you're not supposed to take that. Right? Though taking the cloak was prohibited by the law, the disciple, Jesus encourages and challenges the disciple, those who are listening to him, to offer it freely. Don't hold it back. Offer it freely. Although it's prohibited by the law, offer it freely because it's the Christian way. 41, he says this, uh, go two miles. Don't just go one. Compelled to go one, go two. What he says in 41. Uh, This is a reference to the right of a Roman soldier to require a subject to carry his baggage one mile. The Roman soldiers could compel those to do that. It was highly resented as the prerogative of the oppressing army. It was something that the Roman soldiers could just do. They could compel someone to do it, and they had to do it. Go carry my stuff a mile for me is what it it amounted to. And so what Jesus is saying is don't be always thinking of your liberty Because the law was they could compel to go one. Jesus says, go further than that. Don't always be thinking of your liberty to do as you like, but always thinking of your duty and privilege to be of service to others. When a task is laid before you, even if the task is unreasonable, do it as a service to be gladly rendered. Simply, what Jesus is saying. The Christian is not concerned to do as he or she likes. He or she is concerned only to help, even when the demand for help is discourteous and unreasonable. To be a Christian is challenging because it challenges our norms, it challenges what we believe we ought to be doing. And it challenges us to go further, doesn't it? And to go beyond what our mind can oftentimes comprehend. Uh, Allow me to share with you a few other passages on this type of radical righteousness, if you would. This is radical righteousness. This is, listen, none of us have been called to be just average. None of us have been called to be ordinary. We've been called to be radical, to go beyond the limits of what we our minds can comprehend. And Scripture encourages and challenges us to do that. And on this subject, there are some other passages. Let me read them for you. Exodus 23, 4, and 5 says this. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it to him. If you see the donkey of one man, of one who hates you, lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. If you see somebody's donkey in trouble, that you, that they don't like you and you don't like them. You know, most of us will say, huh? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for the donkey. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 21 says this, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Romans 12, 17, and 21 says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome. Evil with good. Isn't that challenging? Well, that to be a Christian, we have to live that out. That is the, the, the radical part of Christianity. It challenges our thought process. Then in 42, he simply says this. He simply says in 42, give. What he says in 42, 42 says this. Give to, one, to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Uh, it's it's taken, this idea is taken from Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. I'm going to read it for you. Here's what it says. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother, your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land isn't it radical the jewish law of giving was founded in this passage the rabbis had five principles which governed their giving number 1 giving must not be refused Number two, giving must befit the man to whom the gift is given. Number three, giving must be done privately and securely. Number four, the manner of giving must befit the character and the temperament of the recipient. Number five, giving was a privilege and an obligation because in reality, all giving is actually giving to God. All of it. Now, I know, I know, I know you think, man, it's hard sometimes. It's hard because people be scamming. (laughs) You know, they they on the corner and they got an Escalade park behind the building. (laughs) They're going to take my $5 and go get a bottle of gin or a rock. I just, you know, I'm worried about that. I I don't want to get caught up in that. And I'm not telling you to be unwise in your giving. All I'm telling you is that all giving is as if you were giving it to God. And once it leaves your hand, don't concern. Sometimes what we do, what we do is we make, we use that concept as an excuse not to give. You know. We use it. And we say, well, I don't know what might happen to it. I don't know what they might do with it. They may not need it. They may. Let me tell you what William Barclay says about that. William Barclay says this. It must be remembered that it is better to help a score of fraudulent beggars than to risk turning away the one man in real need. Oh, I need to read that again. That should have been on the screen. Y'all need to take a picture of that one. Here's what it says. It says, it must be remembered that it is better to help a score of fraudulent beggars than to risk turning away the one man in real need. And listen, here's the, here's the, here's the kicker. You don't know the difference. <laughs> so why not just be a giver? I'm not telling you go out and just give everything away. But I'm also saying don't hold so tight to every little thing. So he moves from those, those two uh, uh, illustrations to the last one, which is this, extraordinary love. In verses 43 through forty-three through 48, extraordinary love is what he deals with. 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love Those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I'll save 48 for last, but here's what's happening in 43 through 47. He's calling all of us to another level of love. Another level of love that oftentimes we, just like the scribes and the Pharisees and those that were gathered on the mountainside, could not comprehend. Because they had heard, (laughs) but he said. They had heard some things, but he said. If we are to be like God, we are to demonstrate unconquerable benevolence, as he does, to all. Agape love to all. Agape, as you know, is the highest form of love. It's the kind of love that God shares towards us. and We ought to do the same if we're going to be like him, not only to the good and those who love us, but to all because it's easy. The text says it's easy to do that. And Jesus does not challenge us because if it was a challenge, if it was easy, it wouldn't be a challenge. He does not challenge us or call us to anything easy, right? And it's easy for me to love you if you love me. The challenge, KB, comes when I know you don't love me. You've shown me you don't love me. But I still have been called to love you with an unconditional kind of love. It don't mean that we have to go to Papadose together and sit so down. Oh, it don't mean that. But it means I've got to love you. And that's what Jesus is challenging them to. And then in 48, he says this interesting thing. In 48, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What does he mean by using this word perfect? Well, in Greek, it's the word teleos. It's it's the word teleos in the Greek, and it means complete, perfect. From the verb telio, bringing to an end, finish, complete, carry out, accomplish. So it's not our idea, it's not our idea of what perfect is because our idea of what perfect is means that it's without flaw, without imperfection, without mistake, without, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying completion. When he says perfect, a thing is telios if it realizes the purpose for which it was planned. A man is perfect if he realizes the purpose for which he was created and sent into the world. God's love for the just and the unjust is the end or purpose or goal for our love. That's why we were sent here is to love others as God loved us. It requires us to renounce our selfish and discriminatory love in favor of love for others. Oh, that's the reason why Jesus says if we're going to be like God, God reigns on the just as well as the unjust, and he allows his Son to shine on the just as well as the unjust, and we ought to think and live and operate the same way. We ought to love everybody. So then Christ's death on the cross is our example of how God loved us because we didn't deserve it. We, we fit the description of unjust. So he sent his son to to, to show us, because you do know that love, we, we all know this, is an action word. It, 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 it's, more, it's more than just what comes out of our mouth. It, it's more than that. I, I like the way, uh, one of my favorite gospel singers is, is, is a brother by the name of Fred Hammond. Anybody here know Fred Anybody here like Fred? Fred has something to say about this because we think oftentimes that I can just tell you I love you. And that ought to be sufficient. But I, I know a lady sitting in here that said that ain't right. We can't. Uh, we can't. We can't. You got to do more than that. <laughs> There's at least one lady in the house right now that, that, that bears my last name. Brother Sam, that ain't going to fly. I got to do more than that. So Fred Hammond says this, it's not just what you say. Yeah, I've heard that song. I love that song. He says, it's not just what you say. It's more what you do. Here's some lyrics from that song. It's not just what you say. He says, then can we act like we know what love is when you say, how are you doing? Do you really want to know when you ask me that? Are you really interested in knowing that? Are you concerned? And if you had the solution, but it took some of your time or some of your cash or whatever, are you willing? Y'all need to hear this song. Fred says, it's not just what you say. And then in the refrain, he says, it's not just what you say. It's mostly what you do. It's not a game that you play to keep the winning hand with you, not just wasting time. Not just what you say. Not just wasting time with empty words that don't mean much. Not just how you feel when others need your tender touch. So can you take out some time to help somebody else in need? And when this is done, the love of God is truly seen. Then above all, we need to cover and forgive. Then we can act like we know what love is not just what you say. Fred says it's mostly what you do. And Jesus has laid it out for us. This is the kind of love that is extraordinary, that's radical. Jesus says he's called us all to that, to that. Let's pray, Lord, we thank you, and we praise you for your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord, for your love and kindness, and help us, Lord, to live out radical righteousness in this world so that we might impact and influence those around us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, We'll prepare now for communion. Let me say this. I've already said and shared with you that the highest form of love that God could express towards us was spelled out in John 3.16.